the point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy who is good. Hashtag glue guy, hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Hole Leak to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Ranger fans, welcome to Liberty Blue, the best Ranger podcast in town. I am Nick Zoraris. I am here to scream about the Rangers so you don't have to. This is episode 51, live on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, and we're available on all the major podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. I am riding solo today. Andrew, moving into his new place, was not able to get situated in time to set up and do today's show. We will have a more in-depth episode for you guys later in the week whenever we are both able to do so, but I'm here so you guys get your normal weekly Monday fill. So, as far as we understand, the Rangers are down to two candidates. If you saw the post we did earlier today, we did a YouTube short, got it up on our Instagram as well. The Rangers, not linked to Patrick Waugh, which surprised some. There had been some speculation that the former Avalanche coach, the Hall of Fame goaltender, might possibly be a candidate for the vacant Rangers coaching position. But that does not seem to be the case. Both the Athletic and the New York Post have rebutted that. And we're left now with just two candidates. And I, for one, am not particularly excited about either John Hines or Peter Lobulette. I've got some basic stuff for you guys to look at for both of them. I'll pull up at some point during today's episode. But just at face value, this is a hard sell. Uh, There are going to be people who believe in the team no matter who they hire they could hire i don't know who's the worst they could hire david quinn again if the sharks fired him tomorrow and there would be people advocate the rangers know what they're doing they're the rangers chris Drury knows what he's doing he has a plan he knows what he's doing and that's the that's the issue here because you have that constant doldrum of people who are no matter what the team does they're always going to support it you have the people who go case by case, which is what you should do. You should go on a case by case basis when you're evaluating people based on their job performance. And then you have people all the way on the other end, which I'll be fair. I'm closer to the far end that thinks Chris Drury's bad at his job than I am to the side that thinks he's great at his job. But I at least go evidence by evidence when it comes to his decisions and trying to understand them. You heard me say this. We're about a month removed now from when they dismissed Gerard Gawant. You heard me say them firing Gallant means one of two things. Either A, they have the candidate they want lined up already, which obviously did not turn out to be the case. Or if it was John Quinville, which, excuse me, John, John Quinville, the very mid-defenseman, Joel Quinville, if you subscribe to the theory that the Rangers wanted to hire Joel Quinville and then the NHL told them no, that would leave us where we are now, where we are down to second and third choices. And John Hines, was not a candidate for this job a month ago because he was still an employee of the Nashville Predators at the beginning of this month, which, again, goes to show you how little planning went into this process. And that's really where my concerns start to come in. Because so much of Chris Drury's tenure has been about running from decision to decision without really thinking about how making one decision is going to impact other ones down the road. You think about things like the first summer he got here, he had 
a ton of cap space, upwards $9 million in cap space. And that was after he traded Pavel Buchnevich, who didn't get a big number from the Blues. And then they gave money to Gaudreau, Reeves, Nemeth. Two of those three are no longer here. Gaudreau probably not long to be here. You very well could have had Gaudreau on, excuse me, you very well could have had Buchnevich on the team at least last year, if not this year as well. Then you, you think about the deadlines. Okay, I, I've been fair about that. I liked adding Tarasenko and Mikola. I liked adding Kopp. I liked adding Mott. I liked adding Frank Vetrano. I, I understood why they were making those decisions. Now, when you think about that, you are giving up draft picks and prospects for guys who are not needle movers, who, who need those are supplemental pieces. Vetrano, Kopp, Tarasenko, Patrick Kane, those are supplemental pieces. They do their job based on who they play with. They are not going to drive offense on their own. Good supporting characters. You I wrote this the I wrote this when they acquired Patrick Kane and Tarasenko. That's Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg in the departed. This team is about Leo. It's about Matt Damon. It was about Zabinijad. It was about Panarin. It was about the stars on this team living up to the moment. If they didn't, if they did not live up to their talent and expectations, it didn't matter how good Mark Wahlberg and Martin Sheen were in The Departed. If those guys, if if, if DiCaprio and Damon lay an egg in The Departed, it doesn't matter that Mark Wahlberg has thirty six points in nine minutes off the bench. It doesn't matter. That's that's the the overarching conundrum here. It doesn't matter who the coach is because the roster itself is not constructed in a way that's conducive to win a championship. I wrote about this last week for my sub stack. Mika Zibanejad is a really good player. He's not a franchise player. He's not a top 10, 15 player in the league that you need your number one center to be if you want to win a Stanley Cup. He's good. Don't get me wrong. He's a really solid player. One of 19 to break the 90-point threshold last year. Panarin's the second-highest-paid player in all of hockey. He hit the 90-point threshold again. But you need more out of these guys. And what about John Hines or Peter LaViolette tells you that they're going to be able to be the ones that get those guys to play better at five-on-five? Now, I'm going to queue up here our little slideshow because I wanted to piece this together to kind of talk a little bit about the candidates at face value. Because you've heard me talk about these things ad nauseum. I want to give numbers. I want to give facts. Peter Laviolette, 21 seasons in the NHL. Long career. Won a Stanley Cup with Carolina. Made the Stanley Cup final two more times. Once with Philadelphia. Once with Nashville. He has worked continuously for 21 straight years. He has worked for the Islanders, Hurricanes, Flyers, Predators, and Capitals. Average tenure, 4.2 years. This is somebody who is a career coach. This is not someone who's taking time off to kind of refine their toolbox, get better at their job. Somebody who, the issue with these types of guys, the professional coach, is when you don't take time away from the game, you fall back into your habits. You do, well, this worked when I was there. I'm just going to push it on these guys. And they'll catch it. They'll catch on to it. I know this works before because I've done it before. The issue with that is as the game evolves, as time passes, being stubborn in that I know what works because I've been doing this for so long, you start to fall out of it. And I understand there are some people who will point to the teams he was given at the end of his time in Nashville, the time at the end, how bad Washington was this season. 
Washington was not an atrocious hockey team. Uh, if Washington gets a little bit better injury luck, Washington's probably in the playoffs this year. Maybe they don't fight. Maybe they keep Laviolette. Maybe they don't. But the issue I have with Laviolette, and you're going to see me pull up here, this is if the slideshow will work. The Rangers' biggest issue this season to me, and the fundamental how they play, how they play, and this is from Jack Hahn's book from a couple years ago now. If you don't subscribe to Jack, I highly recommend subscribing to his newsletter. Buy his books, support people who are giving you X's and O's and strong identifiable tactics and tactics and philosophies to work off of, as opposed to talking heads who are talking about who wants it more. Because these are the Stanley Cup playoffs. If you don't think these guys who are losing games want it, there's nothing I'm going to be able to tell you about hockey that's going to change your mind. So the Rangers really, really struggled breaking out of their own zone this year. They treat the puck like a hand grenade. I've pulled up that visual more than once where Lindgren and Adam Fox are the only defensemen on the Rangers who exit the zone with control of the puck with an above average frequency. Truba, Miller, Braden Schneider, Mikola, Ben Harper, treating the puck like a hand grenade. Get rid of it, get rid of it, off the window and out relieve the pressure and reset the problem with that is if the rangers are going to hire peter lavulette let's say peter lavulette requires active forwards which i don't know if you guys have watched the rangers try and execute a breakout in the last couple of years the rangers forwards do not come back and give their defensemen support they do not have options to break out to and then the second part of this this requires defensemen who are mobile and able to move the puck well. Again, Keandre Miller's very mobile. The Rangers have not given him the liberty, the freedom to make plays on the puck, to move the puck by himself. They've insisted, play it safe, use the window, relieve the pressure, survive to the next play. If you're going to encourage them to change that, fundamentally change that, and say we're going to pass, straight line pass, straight line pass, straight line pass, Okay, I agree. I think that's closer to where you want to be, but that makes you vulnerable to another team's forecheck. And we have seen when the Rangers get forechecked hard, that is when they get hemmed in their own zone for extended periods of time. And that's where the the slow-footedness, the poor positioning, that's where the stuff on the third pair, especially with Schneider and Harper, Schneider and Mikola, who, okay defensemen, but they're not particularly mobile and they do get caught out of position because they're chasing the puck or watching the puck. And that's where you get into these issues. And then the, the last point I'll let before I move on to John Hines. This is my biggest gripe. You just went into a playoff series against the Devils and you got outran. Okay. They outscored you. The games you did not score on the power play, you lost. All four of the games the Rangers lost in that series to the Devils, they had not scored on the power play in that series. All the games they lost, they did not have a power play goal. So how do we facilitate more offense? We want to get our defensemen more involved in the offensive zone. We want to maintain an, a cycle in the offensive zone. We want to work high to low. We want to get the puck to dangerous areas. Peter Laviolette does not do that. Peter Laviolette's teams are very rooted in protecting leads, relying on your goaltending, and you need good defensemen to be able to play this way. And I... The Rangers defensemen individually have talent. When you start putting them together, that's where I struggle to see what the front office's vision for this grouping is because Truba does not play defense. Truba's value comes from his offensive abilities, his chance creation, his ability to maintain the offensive zone. Occasionally, if he can hit the net with his shot, that's where Truba's value comes from. His defense, 
His defense is questionable. Other teams target him in the neutral zone because they know he's going to pinch up looking for that big hit. And they just go around him because he's not particularly mobile. Ke'Andre Miller, prone to the laps, prone to overpinching, prone to turning the puck over and overthinking it. That does not scream conservative, smart-minded, let's try and outlast the other team. I don't see a world in which Peter Laviolette's preferred style, and this visual here on the screen, I'll pull it up to the bigger one so you guys get a better idea. So this is a, a, this is the impact of a coach's decision-making based on expected goals. So the further to the right you go, the more goals, expected goals you're generating on offense. The further to the left you go, the fewer expected goals you are generating on offense. And then the opposite. If you are defending, you are going up and down. So you see very quickly here. So when the when teams, and this is Laviolette's last season in Washington, not the best team, but so minus one, down a goal, minus two, down two goals. You see that little plus two under the always. That is um, with a two goal lead. And then with a plus one with a lead, you see very quickly, the team does not create a lot of expected goals. They create fewer expected goals on average than you would typically expect. And that is a conscious decision-making by the coaching staff. You see this visual here, and this is the source of Andrew and I's discontent. Because you and I, anyone who's listened the last few weeks has heard Andrew and I bemoan Peter Laviolette's willingness to turtle, to try and protect leads, and it's great. In the regular season, that is a sustainable way to outlast other teams when you have a handful of really good players and an elite goaltender. This works in the regular season. Peter Laviolette is a pretty good regular season coach. You saw the record here. I'll toggle back over. In 21 seasons, 752, 503, 25, 150. If you're too young and you don't know, those 25 are ties. That's how long Peter Laviolette's been coaching. He was coaching before the, the, the 2004 lockout when there were still ties. 752, 503, 25, 150. That's a decent resume in the regular season. That is nothing to be, that is nothing to be, um, what's the word? That's nothing to write, nothing to be ashamed of. That's a solid regular season resume. The issue for me is that the Rangers fired Gerard Gallant because they did not exceed, they did not live up to the playoff expectations they had. Why didn't they live up to those expectations? They didn't score enough. They didn't convert on the power play enough, and they did not manage to ever find a coherent identity. The entire regular season, Andrew and I said they are bullshitting their way through this. They are outlasting teams on talent. There is not a lot of good organization. They consistently look disorganized. They struggle to put together good consecutive periods, games, weeks, months, etc., that, in my mind, is a reflection of the talent. Again, there's not a defense of Gerard Gallant. You, you kn anyone who, who has read my tweets, watched or listened to the show knows, I think Gerard Gallant was very out of his depth when it came time to actually coach. It's great the players liked him until they didn't. And there lays the conundrum of the players' coach. Because after last season, everybody, oh, man, this was great. Gerard Gallant made us feel so great. The locker room was a great place to be. Everyone was so happy. And really quickly, as soon as it became time for the players to either take accountability or blame Gerard Gallant, they all threw him under the bus. None of those guys was willing to t step up and say, hey, man, I had a really bad playoffs. I let the coach down. 
And that's why we're sitting here, because based on what we know, it was the exit interviews that sealed Gallant's fate and got him out of here. So, the other candidate that remains, and that brings me to John Hines, if this will load. Yes, John Hines. So, nine NHL seasons as a coach, 150-159-45, has never won a playoff series. He's made the playoffs twice. I'm not counting the bubble playoffs with Nashville. They lost in the qualifying round. I'm not counting that. Highest career finish, fourth place. He finished in fourth place two separate times, once with the Predators and once with the Devils. And this is why I, for one, am out on John Hines very quickly. This is somebody who the Nashville Predators, the Nashville Predators have had one general manager in the history of the franchise until this summer when they fired, when they, when David Poyle retired, retired, and they hire Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz very quickly says, in today's NHL, we need to be worried about offense, not defense. I, I, I can make, get by with okay defense. I can get by with goaltending. We need to score more goals. We need to bring in somebody who's going to be able to manifest more offense. And they bring in Andrew Brunette, who did a very nice job with the Devils as the associate head coach. Did a really nice job as the interim coach of the Panthers last year when Joel Quinville had to resign that job. This is somebody who does not have a particularly impressive resume, in all honesty. I mean, this is the other point, and we'll talk a little bit about this visual up here above me from Jack Jack Holland's book. Very good book, worth buying. Give give people like Jack your $20, $30 for a book as opposed to an insider who just writes a book with one of their friends. So this is a concerted effort on how to break out of the zone. The Predators, under Hines, Used Roman Yossi to do this because Roman Yossi is one of the best, most mobile defensemen in the entire NHL. That gives you the ability to do things that you're not going to be able to do with other teams. And Adam Fox is a tremendous defenseman. One of, if not the best defenseman in the entire NHL. He's not as mobile as Roman Yossi. He has to outwork the other teams with his brain. He does not, he processes the game ridiculously fast. Amazing, amazing ability to process the game at a high level. But physically, you saw it against the Devils. When he does not have even a little bit of time to work, to process, they're on him, they're smothering him. That makes it a real challenge for the Rangers to break out. And against the Devils, it didn't go particularly well. And I'll pull up John Hines's uh, visuals here. This is John Hines's last year in Nashville, which the Predators were not a great team this year. Entirely reliant on UC Saros and a handful of guys. Very injured. They sold at the deadline. But John Hines's ability is defense first, limit chances against. But this, in my mind, is the visualization of a team that does not generate a ton of offense and is consistently hemmed in their own zone. It is not particularly enticing. And I'll wrap up with this. I had another slide here about Patrick Waugh that because I, I started making this slideshow this morning before that news dropped at about 1231 o'clock. Waugh, again, okay, okay, none of those seasons. And this is a while ago. That's an NHL five, six years ago. But 
this is the big issue for me here. And you'll, and this is what we'll wrap up on. Not a long episode today because it's just me. Andrew and I will have a full episode later in the week when we can both, uh, when hopefully there's a little more news to operate off of. But to me, the visuals of this are not great for a few reasons. Number one, Peter Laviolette's not good enough to coach the Washington Capitals who are not a Stanley Cup contender. Why is he good enough to coach the Rangers who are supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender? If John Hines isn't good enough to coach the Devils or the Predators, why is he good enough to coach the Rangers? Oh, that's right. He went to college with Chris Drury. So, again, we are at a point where the general manager is insisting on wanting to win his way, okay? And you hear me talk about this a lot in particular. Do you want to win? Or do you want to win your way? And that's really where the Rangers are at right now. The Rangers are trying to win only in their specific desired way. The general manager is not willing to consider ideas he doesn't like. I would go as far as to say Chris Drury is pretty stubborn, pretty on, what's the word? I'm not strong-willed, but I'll, I'll say stubborn for lack of a better word. He's very rooted in, I. it's my way or the highway. You see it the way they got rid of Kraftsov because Drury, Drury, whatever reason, singled him out multiple times, got rid of him, whatever. This isn't about Vizalia Kraftsov. Gerard Gallant, same thing. You think about some of the other decisions that have come down the pipe. Patrick Kane, for whatever reason. I, I am at a point now where if the Rangers hire Gallant, excuse me, hire Gallant, God, that's how, that's how scatterbrained my brain is right now. I am very tired. This entire process is frustrating. I, I'm replying to a comment in the chat right now about Patrick Waugh, the athletic, not a there we go. Okay. So it's hard to type and talk and look at the camera. I'm ta I'm good at this, but I'm not that good. But wrapping up here, we'll only do another five minutes or so. This is a tough sell. No matter which of these two guys they hire. And, and the game of musical chairs is starting to slow down now. The music is running out. You think about Columbus got their coach. Anaheim got their coach. So Calgary needs a coach. Washington hired their coach last week. So Calgary needs a coach. The Rangers need a coach. And we sit here at first week of June and you don't have a real strong lean either way. That tells me that neither Hines or Laviolette is all that impressive. So either a, the Rangers are hoping someone to fall into their lap, like Quinville, Sheldon Keefe. Those are really the only two guys I could think of that maybe could fall into their lap. Not particularly enticing. Like, even Sheldon Keefe, who I think is the best of him, Laviolette, Quinville, Hines, even, I, and I like Sheldon Keefe. Even I don't think he's that much better than these guys. And that's the conundrum now, because the Rangers have forced themselves into a corner by running their team like they are a bona fide Stanley Cup contender. They're a good team. They're a really good regular season team. But time and again, we have seen this group, Zabinijad, Panarin, Kreider, now Trocek, 
struggle when the offense is harder to come by. They become way too reliant on the power play to score. And that makes it where if you don't score on the power play, you almost certainly lose. I was doing something the other day where, but while I was writing that Zabinijai column, the Rangers over the last two years have lost 10 games where they don't score a power play goal in the playoffs. The Rangers hadn't, haven't won a playoff game without scoring a power play goal since 2017 in the first round series against Montreal. That's a long time to go a playoff game without winning on even strength and shorthanded. And yes, to, to quote Connor McDavid, Gerard Gallant, everybody else, power play goals count just the same. That's great. If you're not scoring a five on five, you're going to have a harder time than you need to. Only focusing on the power play is how you get a top-heavy team like this year's Rangers. They don't draw enough penalties to begin with to really bulk up and go all in on that power play-centric type of offense. And now, as that motorcycle goes by and really blows up the spot, as I'm trying to make a good point, the Rangers need more five-on-five offense. None of the coaching candidates they have been linked to have particularly strong track records of generating more offense, especially a five-on-five. The Rangers are a talented team. They are not a great team. They lack the type of high-end talent that can take over a game outside of Shesterkin and Adam Fox. And even Adam Fox has his limitations because of his physical traits. Smartest guy in the league, probably. But he cannot outskate the forwards who are forechecking him into oblivion, and that's what you saw against the Devils. So as we wrap up here, I hope everybody – deep breaths, deep breaths, deep breaths. We'd like to say everything's going to work out. We like to say, hey, maybe all it takes is the right coach in the right situation to make something happen that was unexpected. Maybe there's a roster move we don't see. Maybe there's a trade. Maybe there's uh, over 35 free agent. Maybe there's a restricted free agent trade. If there are subsequent moves, then we reevaluate. But right now, it feels like the Rangers don't want to acknowledge the limitations of their roster. They made the coach the scapegoat. Now they're looking for a coach who can get more out of a group that's 30, 31, 32. And 30 and 31 and 32-year-olds don't typically get better as they get to that age. Maybe you can get one extra good year out of them at that point. But I, Laviolette, Hines, those are the two guys who are, li- who are linked to this job. Patrick Waugh, not a candidate, according to the New York Post. And The Athletic, we got the two sources. That's a good sign. The national writers... Friedman, Drager, they don't know shit, okay? They were saying Laviolette, Laviolette two weeks ago, and if it was going to be Laviolette, it would be Laviolette by now. So we will wait and see as we wrap up here. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Short episode today. Andrew was moving into his new apartment, didn't get a chance to get set up to do today's show. He and I will have a full episode for you at some point in the week, either tomorrow or Wednesday. We'll be sure to let you guys know when that's going to happen. This episode, we'll throw it up on, I'll throw this up on YouTube. I'll throw this up on the podcast feeds as well. This is your filler. This is episode 51 and a half, 51 and a half. Episode 52 will come later in the week. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast. Subscribed on YouTube as well. Twitter, Instagram. Been scrolling on the bottom down there. Oh, none of these coaches are particularly inspiring. Whenever they hire one, if it's between now and when we were originally going to record an episode, we'll go live then as well. Until then, I'm Nick Zarars. I'll see you guys next time. Please don't be John Hines.